Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and the Word of God. My name is Eric Buchold, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by my brother, brother in Christ, Dylan, Ken- Dylan Keniston. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing well, brother. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Sorry for almost butchering your name there. <laughs> That's okay. A little early in the morning. Still drinking, Happens all the time. <laughs> still drinking my coffee. Still drinking my coffee. But better than my name, I mean, people always say, I say, Leopold? Is it Leopold? Leopold. <laughs> I, was like, I don't see an E in there. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I know. Well, I get, so I get Kensington a lot. And, oh, Kensington. And, but there's no G. Sense. But there's no G. That's I'm like, true. So it's kind of like but Leopold. Kensington's in, it's in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. I get yeah. it. No, That's why I'm like, I'll respond. I know what you mean. It's okay. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Today's topic is not on last names, although, I mean, I guess we could do that someday. But um, uh, and By the way, for those of you listening, thank you for joining us. Episode number 44, we're glad to have you. It's been a wonderful season so far. Uh, gosh, y'all, y'all are a patient audience, dude. Very patient <laughs> audience. Wait up, 44. Yeah. Well, we if have... you're still listening at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're a loyal customer. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, man. And we thank you all for your support. Uh, and sending us questions, uh, donating, uh, partnering with us on Patreon, uh, all that uh, we really appreciate and uh, can't do it without you. And in fact, uh, today uh, we are addressing a question submitted by one of our supporters. Uh, so here is the question. It's on a very uh, important topic, but here it is. Uh, here we go. Quote, is it appropriate for a nation to control who it allows to immigrate? Should a nation expect an immigrant to adhere to its laws and founding principles? Is it appropriate to block a people group who intend to introduce other law, such as Sharia? While God has made a clear New Testament, and even by exceptions in the Old Testament, that there is no heavenly exclusion based on race, gender, people, tribe, and tongue, there are examples in both Old Testament and New Testament where strong warnings were made about a people group, such as the Canaanites and the Cretans, who had practices that are contrary to biblical standards and that would lead the people astray, end quote. So that's our uh, kind of a multi-level question uh, mm. submitted there. And by the way, thank you, uh, thank you, Lane, for submitting that question as a... That's a great question, important, important question uh, there, and uh, one that uh, we're going to try to try to tackle yeah. <laughs> in a little bit. <laughs> we might not be able to get through all of them, but uh, we'll do the best that we can. So, all right, so I throw it out to you, Dylan. How do we begin to unpack the topic, overall topic of immigration? Yeah, so here's, so here's where I would start, right? Um, <clears throat> because it's such a because it's such an emotionally charged uh, issue and because it's such a, a political landmine and add on to that, it is a tremendously complex issue. Um, when oh, you yeah. get down to like the, the nuts and the bolts of, of immigration policy and, and what it's become in the United States um, and even elsewhere in, in the world, like it is a complex issue. Yep. So we, I, I don't think we're pretending to be thorough in any kind of way. And so no. you could easily give us like, feedback on on almost anything we say just be like oh but you didn't tackle this and you probably well, we're going to try right. to tackle some we're of try the to main, tackle a lot. Yeah. main points of scripture but if there's a scripture that we miss or that we misinterpret yeah just we definitely want the feedback on yeah. that and had that conversation yeah so so i would want to clear the ground so so, so four things up front right okay. number one we're not going after partisanship Right. You say, oh, you're just interested in pl- advancing your political agenda. I mean, that comes up a lot. You mean like party, part- yeah, party politics? The party right? politics. Okay. We're, not, we're not interested in, in advancing that, right? It's just like we're trying to be – we want to be faithful to Scripture. Right? Yeah. And regardless of what side anyone – just we want to be tr- trying to be faithful to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Second thing, we're not interested in – in xenophobia, right? So a lot of times in these conversations, charges, what does that mean, by the way? Yeah, so xenophobia is fear of foreigners, right? So a lot of times okay. the charge will come, well, you just hate people from other countries, right? And and look, name calling, just it, I don't think it has a place in open and honest discussion, right? Third thing, we're not interested in racism, right? So a lot of times okay. what gets brought up in this is you just hate anyone who's not white. So so <laughs> full stop, we deplore racism. Right. Racism is sinful. It's evil. It should be confronted. And where racism rears its ugly head, we're just as eager to see it revealed and repented of as anyone else. Yeah. So we have no desire to promote sin. Yeah. Well, Neither one of well, us. Well, whether or not you end up agreeing with kind of where we fall on, on this topic, right? So yeah. I just wanted to clear that. And then the fourth thing, yeah. um, we're not interested in kinism. 
So here's what's what I, that one? I don't know. I'm familiar so, with that term, but yeah. So just like that. so, so the so the questioner raised this question in, in connection with uh, the episode that we did on the New Zealand shooter, who basically is like who wanted to you know part of the impetus for the New Zealand shooter was to kind of preserve white identity and to preserve white culture, uh, white European culture, and so the the charge here is you know you're just letting immigrants in to dilute white culture. Um, Oh, that's so weird. Well, but but that's kind of the impetus of, of, of a lot of folks out there today. And that was part of the issue that the New Zealand shooter had. Right. So yeah, we did talk. About um, yeah. So there there are benefits that accrue to cultures that employ biblical principles and laws and social norms. But neither the benefits nor the principles nor the laws are in any way tied to a particular ethnicity. And I just want to, yeah. like, get that out. It should be obvious. But. The, but there's there's danger that biblical truth can be co-opted by those who mean to do harm. It Kinda always like, can be. It always yeah, can just be. like the devil citing scripture to Jesus in the desert. So, like, none of what's said today should be misconstrued by, you know, uh, white supremacist types or alt-right types who, who insist that, you know, American or European culture is white and needs to remain white. And therefore, we need to stem the tide of immigration. Yeah. Like, that's not it. That's so not full about. stop. Yeah. That's a twisted perspective. So, okay. So those four things. So um, not interested in just being uh, partisan, not interested in being xenophobic, in race, in racism, in kin. Like Keenism. we're trying to reject all of these things right, yeah. right up front. So regardless of whether you agree with where we land in this discussion, I just want to set the, set the framework. Those. And here's another framework setting perspective, right? It's like if, if in, in one sense, we have more in common with a Christian brother or sister from another nation than we have with a non-believer from our, our native nation. That's completely right? true. And in our context, that's yeah. the United States of America, right? That's right. We have, and that's true for any Christian anywhere. You have more in common with somebody who's not native to your land, um, but who is a Christian. You'd be spending an eternity with that person. That's so true. we got to love that person. <laughs> yeah. So, so those two things, I think, just might help to frame the mm -hmm. discussion of of kind of where we go. So okay. With those disclaimers, um, so the now those yeah. are the disclaimers, right? Yeah. Then I think we can start diving in and, and yeah. getting into some unpacking some stuff. Yeah. So, all right, fair enough. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's helpful. Um, so it's to begin with unpacking this, then I, I a couple questions and trying to boil this down. Like when, when we take like the word immigration, it, it's, it refers to a lot of there's a lot of aspects to it, right? Yeah. But I always try to. I find it helpful to boil an idea down to its most simplest form, mm. right? So I try to so I ask the question, is it ever okay to prevent someone from entering a particular location or territory? You know, is is it ever okay to ask questions or determine someone's intentions before allowing them to enter location? Now, I think the, uh, the most immediate uh, boiled down example with this would be your own home, right? Mm. So do, do you let anyone into your house who wants to come in? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah. Probably. So you vet people? Uh, I mean, I don't do background checks on everybody no, you comes to my home, um, but I, I, but you have a door with a lock on it. I have a door with a lock on it. Yeah. And I, and I do not expect someone who has not been, uh, welcomed in to come in. <laughs> and when they do, it is quite, it's happened before it. It's quite jarring. I assure you. <laughs> well, so anyways, the reason I bring that up is not to be <laughs> cheeky, but the point yeah, is yeah. that like that analogy, I think is fair because I mean, ideas that are national in origin or, you know, at the national level, they can be boiled down to, I'll give, well, I'll give one very clear example would be the concept of war. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, of some of the ancient historians and, uh, and the military theorists and General Karl von Clausewitz wrote the book on war. And he even said, war is a duel on a grand scale. So he, he took the concept of war and he boiled down to interpersonal conflict between mm. two people. If you just expand that... It, that's where you get the concept of war, you know, family, tribe, uh, uh, nation, da, 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 da. So I was, you know, I try to do the same thing with regards to uh, something like immigration, which basically you're preventing, if you're talking about border walls or border patrol, you are preventing a certain number or a certain particular people from entering a location, Yeah. which is no different than, let's say, uh, your home. Well, I think that's a really, I think that's a useful example and analogy. So like, I think of it where 
every sphere has borders, mm -hmm. right? Family, church, state. And, and now in each sphere, and this kind of ties into immigration, right? In each sphere, there are exceptions to the borders. That's so right. for example, you think of a family has genetic borders, but there's, but there's rich exceptions in the biblical theme of adoption. That's right. Right. So a church has spiritual borders, but there's a rich exception in Gentiles being welcomed so that God's people are not just Jews. So Paul writes in Ephesians 2.12, we were strangers to the covenant of promise, right? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting language choice there um, where, you know, we're strangers to the covenant of promise and, and uh, foreigners to uh, to Israel and the promises there. So likewise, there's... There's, there's exceptions in proclaiming the Great Commission. So we're proclaiming the gospel to the nation. So while members, church membership is for believers, Jews and Gentiles, we don't want non-believers outside the church. We want them to come in. We, we want to welcome them. We want to but love them. But we do them. exclude false teachers. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I'm, I'm talking about the oh. lady. I'm talking about the people who, like, come and visit a church. You know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. So, so, oh, like, no, no, no. so a church has spiritual borders. That's right. right? And, and the, that's, exactly. on, uh, that's on membership, and that's now constituted of Jew and Gentile. Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we don't want visitors who are not believers. Like, we want them to hear the gospel. Of course, and the Yeah, of yeah. Course. But, yeah, totally much tighter restrictions on the teaching. And then a state has physical borders. So mm -hmm. there's rich exceptions in immigration, right? And there's some, some biblical patterns on how that gets teased out yeah. and how to do that. Uh, in, in a manner that, you know, seeks to honor the Lord yeah. um, and, and is legal. Um, but, but yeah, so there's, so each of these spheres has borders, right? Family, church, state. Um, and there's a lot of, except there's a lot of passages where borders are, um, are brought up, right? It's not yeah. just like, you know, it's, it's not like this is a new idea. So which ones do you want to tackle? Um, well, so just a few, like, so there's somewhere um, where God himself sets a border around Eden, right? One of the first that comes to mind is Genesis three. Okay. Um, so in Genesis three, 23 through 24, um, God casts out Adam and Eve. And he places a flaming sword that guards the way back into Eden. It's kind of like preventing entry. Uh -huh. right? That's true. Yeah. Um, the angel there. So then like Psalm 122 and Psalm 147, Psalm 51, like these are Psalms that speak well of borders as kind of enhancing the security of a place. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Right. So like, okay. <laughs> um, and then likewise in, in revelation 21, you got the new heavens and the new earth. You have, um, you have, you have walls there. Um, and, and likewise in Nehemiah, which was an example that we were talking about earlier. So I, I think to, to say that there's something intrinsically wrong with borders, um, or, you know, to, to, to argue in favor of just the total, you know, full stop abandonment of borders entirely. Or walls. Or wall. Yeah. Like, I, I just think that's an uphill battle to square that with scripture. Yeah, that does. You bring up uh, Nehemiah. I, I had that written down as well. Nehemiah chapter two, which, uh, you know, in the first couple of chapters describe how upset or concerned uh, that Nehemiah is. Uh, in fact, uh, when he approaches the king, King Artaxerxes, uh, the king is concerned, you know, why is your face sad? You're not sick, are you? Basically, is what mm -hmm. he asks him. And then, and then Nehemiah says, why shouldn't my face be sad when the city, the, I'm quoting from verse 3, chapter 2, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Hmm. Okay. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So, you know, what do you want? And he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor, send me to Judah that I may rebuild it. And then the king tells him, you know, how, how long will you be gone? Uh, and he, you know, tells him about it. And there you go. So, um, he, and then Nehemiah, and the, and the story continues. Nehemiah goes, he recruits people to help him rebuild the walls. He, he gets opposition from uh, men like Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite uh, are displeased that they're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, and so anyways, the, po the point is there is that, you know, at least in, at, that, at that particular time in the culture, a city's walls were a sign of its health, security, and strength. Yeah. I mean, without walls, a city was naked to attack. Uh, robbers and thieves and and criminals could come and go as they please. There was mm -hmm. no control yeah. over anything. It, it actually would be tantamount to anarchy and pure chaos. 
uh, it would have been very, 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 very uh, a dangerous situation. Yeah, the lack of control is a gap, right? Like yeah, that's, that's right. That's a major issue. So, so here's here's the here's the retort that often comes when yeah. when these kinds of passages are brought up mm-hmm. or brought to bear, right? You can't you can't draw a straight line from Old Testament Israel to America. That's right. That's <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of issues with that. And the president all... is not Nehemiah. Exactly. And, <laughs> and and like and and it's true. Like that's that's a right thing to point out. And yeah. if so, it can be a little tricky hermeneutically to yeah. um because you we want to stand firm on on the word but we also want to like be careful in how it gets applied yeah. and how those principles get teased out so yeah, so help so so then help help yeah. our listeners through that how would you go about yeah. drawing that line right how do we apply particular passages for the for Israel to now yeah totally um so I, so first thing I would want to say is I think um, peop, wherever people land on on the immigration discussion, I think both people uh, cite scripture, right? It, on, uh, when we're talking about Christians, right? Christians will tend to cite scripture one way or the other. So, for example, some in favor of like strict legal immigration will point to these biblical texts about walls and borders and will say, you know, see, the Bible says borders are a blessing to a nation is what Wayne Grudem argued in his piece on in on the town hall website in July 2018. Oh, okay. Um, but then the response among a lot of evangelicals to Grudem's article was just really harsh. And the response was basically, you can't just politicize biblical texts. You can't jump from Old Testament Israel to America. This is just politics dressed up in evangelical garb. Um, so you get these like... Oh, that's pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. It's like really strong language. But on the other hand, right, those who favor very loose immigration policies or amnesty or even open borders will pull from other biblical passages about how we're to treat sojourners about being good Samaritans and about loving our neighbors. Right. Um, so I think part of both sides are appealing to scripture. Neither side thinks the other is doing so rightly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and I just gave a couple of examples of that. So like, so here, I think it is help. It could be helpful to start on the hermeneutics. So here's how I would tease that out. Um, I think the question is tied to how Old Testament laws get applied in a, in a transnational New Covenant context. So, yeah. And that could point to the church, <laughs> right? Or it could point to the the nation state now distinct from the church in a New Covenant context. Okay. So at a minimum, um, we don't apply the penal sanctions of the Mosaic Code uh, in America. Uh, and at a, and, and we, don't, we don't apply the first table of the law yeah. in a civil context. So we don't punish blasphemy. Exactly. Um, or Sabbath breaking. And yet Paul will say in first Corinthians 10, these things happened to them as, as an example, they were written down for our instruction. So here's here, first thing to say is you, we need to look at the principle behind the law. That's right. Right. So, um, for example, you, you, putting rails around your roof, right? We, we might not have rails oh, around, around, yeah, the... parapet around the roof. We might not have parapets around our roofs as is instructed in Deuteronomy 22 verse eight, mm. but we should probably have handrails on our staircases or fences or, around pools or fences around pools. Exactly. So like, so the first question is what's the principle and we want to take that principle and we want to think about how it applies in our context. Yeah, actually. Right? And so for those of you listening, uh, maybe you might be saying that Dylan's just, you know, making this up. Uh, you know, where'd you come up with this idea, Dylan? Who says that principles are the way to go? But I do think that uh, the reason why is that we have a, we have a pretty clear example in Scripture hmm. of this exact. Yeah, a couple of examples. Yeah, yeah. And the one that comes to mind is do not muzzle an ox, an ox yeah. while it's treading out the yeah. grain. Yeah. Now, the Apostle Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he is speaking about uh, him getting supported yeah. Uh, in his preaching of the gospel, yeah. like fi- financially supported, right? Um, <clears throat> he, and here's what he says. Uh, this is in chapter nine, verse three. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not, do we not have the right to take along a bleeding wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. 
Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Mm -hmm. It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he just even says very explicitly, like, this law is not just about oxen. It is about way more than that, and it's applicable to us as apostles and preachers going out preaching the gospel, and we do... We should you you as the congregation should support us financially right. in doing this. You shall not muzzle the ox as it treads up the grain. So that's the principle. Yeah, the principle is valid. Is valid. Yeah, exactly. Very right? valid. So so I think yeah. that's that's the first uh, step, right? Mm-hmm. But then it still doesn't answer all the questions because mm-hmm. even if we grant that a principle is valid. Uh, today from an Old Testament law, it still doesn't quite answer the question at what level the principles applied, right? So what I mean by that is, uh, is it it applicable in the church or is it applicable in the state or is it applicable in both? So so not every sin is a crime, right? Thank God for that. Yeah. And and (laughs) not everything that the state calls a crime is automatically a sin. I agree. Obviously, yeah. So, and now we don't always express this as like as a conflation, but this it, it does like underlie it, it, it's an assumption that can muddy the waters in mm-hmm. discussions on immigration when biblical texts are brought to bear. So and this is the conflation of sin and crime. The assumption is like if it's bad, it's it should be against the law or it should be if it's good, yeah. it should be in favor of the law. Yeah, well, so, yeah, like lust and greed are sins, but they're not necessarily crimes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So now. What, how do we differentiate between yep. sins and crimes, right? So, I mean, that's a huge topic. Um, I'm just going to give kind of a, a, a rule of thumb, okay? Um, does the, so you have an event, and you want to know, is it a sin or is it a crime or is it both? Um, one question you could ask, helpfully, is does the Bible attach a civil penalty to it, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. rape, murder, fraud, these come with civil penalties. Um, yeah, the Old Testament, so basically the Old Testament tells you to punish Right. These things. Right. The Bible. Um, Old Testament also tells you to be hospitable, not to lust, not to covet. Yeah. But even while these might come with an ecclesial penalty, Scripture doesn't attach a civil attach a civil penalty to these. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like there was no, if someone was greedy, they weren't stoned. Right. In in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if they defrauded their neighbor, they had to pay back. Yes. Yes. With with, with extra. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So another way you might think about it is if it, it is. If you have so sins are, are um, uh, this one I got uh, from from a text I have to go back and reference the citation, but sure. sins that are not crimes are matters of private conscience or personal piety. Yeah. I've heard it put that way, okay. um, and I think I, I think that's useful, right? I think it um, is useful. Yeah. The usefulness is limited because you know uh, sin is always social, right? And you don't want to miss that that aspect of it. Um, but I but I, I still think it's a useful mm-hmm. distinction. I think would would a good example be. Um, would be the the giving of charity, uh, tithes mm-hmm. and offerings, if you want to put it that way. So, like the people of God in the New Testament are are commanded. Well, the, God wants them, but God wants a cheerful giver. Yeah. Right. So, 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 I think God, God requires His people to give and to be open handed and and to and to give. But the church, I don't think the church is not allowed to punish someone for not tithing or for right. not not giving an offering. Right. And certainly, the civil government is not allowed to punish mm. people for not being charitable. So, the for like church, gluttony, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Example, yeah, right? the, so, like, the church should encourage giving, and even perhaps the civil government should encourage giving, but neither of them can require it. Yeah. Okay, because that, but well, that so is between God and them. That that might be something we 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 tease out a little further in Maybe. another episode too. Because yeah. I like I think there there might be times where where a, a church or a, or the state can can require it. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk to that. But like gluttony is, is an example that comes to mind for me where it's like it's it's a it's a simple example where it's like look, is it a sin? Yes. Can the state punish someone who overeats? Well, is they try. A, is there a law? Well, they're trying now. Right, but like is, <laughs> is somebody going to be thrown in jail because yeah. they have too much to eat over dinner? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, right? Like you have too much turkey at Thanksgiving, you're not going to have a police officer come to your house and and fine you or throw yeah. you in prison, right? It's just not it's not going to happen. So like okay. So now we come to the notion of an illegal breach of a nation's borders. Or let's just say breach of a nation's borders. I don't want I don't want to stack the deck, right? So First of all, is that a matter of private conscience or personal piety? Preaching in nations, yeah, coming into like immigration. 
I would say the answer is no. Probably not. Right now, I mean, it, you might say it's it's to do with private conscience or personal piety of the individual doing the act, mm -hmm. but the social ramifications. I don't think anybody's going to argue that it's like it's it's a it's a matter of private conscience primarily, or even even. In, in any kind of like majorly derivative sense. I mean, we're talking about yeah. tremendous social ramifications when when immigration happens uh, at scale, uh, which is what we're seeing. So I, I would say, is it a, is immigration a matter of private conscience, personal piety, or is it kind of a social question that a nation needs to think through? Um, mm -hmm. No to the former, yes to the latter. Okay. So second thing, yeah. does scripture attach a civil penalty to the stranger, the sojourner, the immigrant? who enters a nation unlawfully. Okay, so in one sense, no, and in okay. another, another sense, yes. And right. and what I mean by that is, you're not gonna find a verse that says, thou shalt not cross another nation's borders illegally. Without permission. Right, right. So what yeah. you do get is this notion of, of um, outside of war, the, the biblical standard seems to be getting a host nation's permission to enter. Now, of course, you have examples of war where it's just we're tr well, we're trying down war, We don't need permission. At war, <laughs> nobody's seeking permission at war, yeah. right? But but when it comes to you know outside of war, this the pattern seems to be seeking permission. Are there a couple? Okay, so what are some of the examples that you'd want to give on that one? Yeah, so in Numbers twenty uh, verses fourteen to twenty one. Okay. Um, Moses sent messengers. Uh, uh, this is Numbers chapter twenty verse uh, fourteen. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Uh, Thus says your your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. Um, and when we cried to the Lord, we heard our voice. Uh, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here, here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along to the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So here's here they are coming to Edom, and they're, here's Israel, and they're, they're and they're seeking. That's particularly nice. I mean, Israel's yeah, trying to be yeah, respectful. They're they're seeking permission. Edom flat out, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but Edom flat out says no. <laughs> and not only do they say no, they go send an army to make sure the Israelites don't breach the borders. So, um, so I'm not, whether, like, set aside for Edom a minute. could be wrong. Yes, yeah, Edom could be wrong. Set aside for a minute that, that, like, that might not have been the best response from Edom. Um, <laughs> the, the, the standard, nevertheless, that, that Israel seems to be setting is, is for asking permission. There's another example, though. So in Genesis, but does Israel how, does Israel respect that decision? Is what, yeah, they went around. They so, went around. Yeah, and and which is now when we look at it, like they went around, like is that is that good? Right. That that generally, I, I think we would say that's them respecting Edom's what Edom has laid out. Right. Yeah. So and then another example would be in Genesis forty-seven. Okay. Versus three to six. Okay, Genesis forty-seven. Um, where. Basically, Israel is coming to enter. They want to enter Egypt. This is you this know, is during the famine, right? This is during the famine. Yeah, this is pre-Exodus, right? So this is um, doing a hardship, a severe hardship. Yes, yes. They come to the land of Egypt, and they're looking for for permission from from Pharaoh to settle in Goshen, and Pharaoh grants permission. So, uh, chapter forty-seven, verses uh, three to six says, uh, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let us, your servants dwell in Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your fathers and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Um, so, so, Pharaoh grants that permission, says, yeah, come but on. they in. ask. They, they ask, right? Exactly. So, so here's the point, right? We, we see that these are countries that um, had borders that were protected and respected. Um, okay. And, and, you know, like I said, the, we, we talked earlier about a number of passages that, that look at borders uh, favorably. Um, you know, just, just a quick aside, right? Yeah. I don't think that this notion of like open borders or the, like 
I, I don't think that it's like <clears throat> clean <throat> cut politically in an American context. So it's mm -hmm. typical to assume that like favoring open borders if, is a left leaning position. Um, and it often is, but there, are, but there are strongly There's libertarian, libertarian there wings are. Mm -hmm. that are super vocal there are against conservatives borders. that are actually, and here's yeah. the thing about, I wanted to touch on this a little bit too, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, not okay. at all. So, cause I was going to also touch on Romans chapter 13. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an important verse. Well, you mentioned borders, right? And, and I know in, in, in my, in our mind, when we hear like open borders or we hear about borders, I mean, it's it's kind of like this. At least in my mind, it's kind of like this nebulous picture mm. of just a bunch of territory that you know, there's like a gate, and it's like in or out kind of thing, and that territory is not owned by anybody, but it's just there, and it's like, well, why not let them in? I mean, that's so that's so that's so mean, right? It's not nice, but we need to consider the other option is that uh, the Bible does honor borders. And particularly private property, mm. like like you're not supposed to move the boundary marker of right. your neighbor and basically steal his land. Like yeah. like property is meant to be honored, mm. and people are allowed to own property in the Old Testament very yeah. clearly. Yeah. Uh, the, you know God allots the portions to Israel, the mm -hmm. various uh, tribes, and this is their particular portion of their land. And the Levites were not allowed to have any. But they were to be supported by the people of Israel, and but, even in New Covenant conduct, because that's yeah. that's that's the root of like uh, the Eighth Commandment, right? Thou yeah, shalt, shalt not steal. steal. Yeah, it's like private property is is the underlying assumption there. That's right. right. So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So what I'm I'm trying to get at is that when it comes to crossing the borders of a nation, it's not so easy as to it might not be as clean cut as you might think because mm. those the borderlands, at least some of them, might be private property, mm. might be. Mm could be ranchers, could be anything like that at all. So what if it is? Well, if it is, that kind of touches on, you know, a little bit of Romans 13, because Romans 13 talks about submission to governing authorities. And I'll, I'll read this passage, and we'll, we'll, I want to highlight two, two aspects, two sides of the same coin here on this one. So in verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So I'll stop there. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because this, although it speaks predominantly of, of, of God's people submitting to the governing authorities, it does touch on the, the duty of the civil authority. Mm -hmm. The civil servant of God is supposed to uh, punish evil and praise the good, bear the sword. He's an avenger against the wrongdoer. And uh, so one of the roles of the civil government is to protect it's citizens now that includes and, and honoring their rights, mm. right? I mean, we, we certainly believe in the Bill of Rights, and we believe that a civil government should not violate those rights and should make sure that they're protect life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So if you come, if you take my life or try to take my life, the magistrate should get involved to stop that or to punish you if it's already been done. Like you already, you know, killed me or something like that. But I, I when it comes to private property, it's the same thing, like... Like, you know, the government's duty is to respect and protect the, the, the property of others, mm. right? You have a right to property, so do I. And if that's being violated, it needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. And something should be done about that. So there's a, there's a duty to so imagine it That's kind of one side of the coin. Oh, and also to, uh, to wage, to basically avenge against the evildoer. Now, when you have large influxes of people, it doesn't matter what their ethnicity, what their origin, what nation they come from. It doesn't matter. Take any given population, let's say 10,000 people, right? Or a million, right? What percentage of them are going to be rapists, and thieves, and murderers? There's going to be some. There will be. Just uh, as there are domestically. It's all I'm going to say. Like, even just take the population of, uh, of you know, Massachusetts or New Hampshire, any state, any small state. And you can even look at how many crimes are committed in that state per, you know, based on their population, what percentage, right? So if you are a civil magistrate and you have a, a, a number of people the size of the population of, let's say, Vermont 
or 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 New Hampshire coming into your country, you know that you know there are thousands in there that are probably given statistical analysis, probably going to commit some kind of crime, uh, like felony, like that. And so you would want to vet them as part of your duty to punish evil and mm -hmm. to and to protect the lives of your of your citizens. So I think that that's that speaks on the aspect of the civil magistrate side, like mm -hmm. his responsibility. But now and, and, others, you're, yeah. and you're not saying you're, you're certainly not saying like, you know, part of the the impetus for rejecting immigration is is fear that they're they're murderers, they're rapists, etc. Et no, what I you're rejecting, saying, yeah, what, I'm, I'm what you're saying is, yeah, exactly. You're, you're just saying yeah. the civil magistrate has a responsibility to to basically uh, background check those people who it, it doesn't know who are coming across the border. And, and that actually just goes back to... Is that to, a fair summary? Yeah, it is. And okay. that goes back to the whole Old Testament idea of walls. Right. I mean, in Jerusalem, all the city walls, what happened? And it, what happens in a city with cities with, with gates and walls? If you want to go into the city, you got to go through the gate. Hmm. Who's at the gate? Guards, as well as judges, elders. Uh, a lot of judgments happened at the gate, right? So the whole point of was to control who comes and who goes. That's all. It wasn't meant to be mean or harsh. Uh, it was meant to avoid chaos and anarchy. That's what the intent was. So yeah. I think that's fair to say that if you take the idea of gates and walls to the grand scale of a nation, having a way to monitor and control the enter the comings and the goings mm. is not a bad thing. It's mm. not evil. It's actually a good thing. Mm. Um, but uh, with regards to the other half of Romans 13, it's very obvious that as God's people, what, people are to, are to submit to governing authorities. Now, I don't want to go into a long uh, conversation on like when it's okay not to submit. I would say there's, there's two points to that. Basically, if you're commanded by the government to, to sin, you should not do that. And if you're prohibited from worshiping God, you should not obey the government. But aside from that... You need to submit, and I I, I, I I see nothing so far in, in our discussion and in scripture that says that that uh, rules regarding uh, uh, borders are unlawful and immoral at all times. Mm. So therefore, uh, it is the duty of people to submit to those rules, even if they don't agree with them. And furthermore, uh, those who wish to come in, uh, just like you mentioned before, asking permission, like like showing respect to the nation that they're trying to enter, mm. um, there's a sense in which they should want to submit to, if they're going to try to be here and they want to live here, they need to submit to the governing authorities. Mm. And that means following the rules. You know, as mm. long as, again, as long as those rules are not prohibiting our righteousness, uh, worship of God, or, or, com or commanding sin. Yeah, so Thoughts let's... On that? Yeah, so... I, I, yes, but I want to s kind of in a roundabout way. All right, let's do so, it. So let's assume for a minute that there are borders. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And, and let's assume for a minute that the biblical model is that a, a non-native people generally need permission to enter those borders. Um, another another wrinkle in the conversation, mm -hmm. um, and this one I, I credit, so there's an author, uh, James Hoffemeyer, who's professor of Old Testament, ancient Near Eastern history and archaeology at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, he wrote a book called The Immigration Crisis, Immigrants, Aliens, and the Bible. Um, and he, he points out that there's this uh, distinction in word choice between, um, you know, sojourner, stranger, alien, and foreigner okay um that that and he's he he makes the point that the hebrew word behind both of those is 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 different so a lot of times when when people are trying to um defend uh illegal immigration or even open borders you know the grounds for doing so tends to be you know compassion and casting out fear and and you know all of these passages about how to treat the so the sojourner so leviticus 19 33 through 34 you know, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and, all, and all of these are, are basically saying, treat the sojourner as you would the native among you. And this is, you know, contextually right by Leviticus 19, 18, mm -hmm. which is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls it the second greatest commandment. Um, there's fair treatment to non-native laborers in, you know, Deuteronomy 24, um, prompt payment for labor, likewise, Deuteronomy 24. There's some of this in Deuteronomy 10. Mm -hmm. Um 
if you read through some of these passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's astonishing how much overlap there is between rights enjoyed by the native mm. and rights enjoyed by the immigrant. And, you know, this is one of the Bible's greatest themes is God's people being foreigners. Also expectations. In another nation. Yeah. Like when, so when God warns about mistreating sojourners, he said, look, you were strangers in Egypt. So you knew what that was like. Yeah. And and that same theme gets picked up in the new covenant with respect to believers. And, you know, we touched on Ephesians 2.12. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this distinction in the words, one of the things Hoffmeyer points out is that um, in our contemporary conversations on immigration, when we look at scripture, we tend to flatten how the Bible talks about non-native Israelites. Um, and part of that is a translation issue. Um, but, you know, stranger, sojourner, you know, foreigner, we tend to just kind of flatten that, say, there's not, we're not. They're all the same. They're all the same, right. But the distinction, Hoffmeyer says, is between the word ger, sojourner, and nekar, foreigner. So, so when the Bible refers to sojourners, this is the group that essentially gets the same benefits as a native-born Israelite uh, to whom those other passages refer. But they're refer. also not allowed to, to, uh, to worship false gods. Oh, certainly not. They're yeah, not allowed no, no. to. They're, they're adopting that. Yeah. They're adopting the practice of the, of the nation where they're at. Yeah. So, but the sojourner gets a lot of social benefits, right? So yeah. the sojourner can glean the fields in Leviticus 19, uh, 9 and 10. Yeah. The sojourner, they're, they're under the same laws as the native Israelite, Numbers 15, 15 to 16. Um, but one of the things Hoffmeyer points out is these benefits are not granted to the Nekari, the, the, the foreigners. Um, so he points to... So one example where this comes out, interestingly, uh, Exodus 2, verses 18 to 22. Uh, and you've got someone who's a foreigner, and that's Moses, right? Moses was a foreigner to uh, Jethro and Zipporah and where they were living. But when Moses married Zipporah, and he takes on overseeing Jethro's flock, he's able to call himself a sojourner, no longer a foreigner, even though he had lived in a foreign land. So when Moses, uh, when Moses and Zipporah have a son... They name him Gershom. You can hear the the prefix Ger, yeah. right? Is yeah. that that Hebrew word sojourner? Um, they they named him Gershom because I Moses have been a sojourner in a foreign land, right? So here's here's again the distinction. He had been a foreigner, now he's a sojourner, mm. right? So there's this there's this uh, transition in status from one to the other that comes with the welcome and the permission of the others who are, mm. who had been native to that, to that place. So that now when we come to like foreigners, so here's, here's what I'm not saying. I want to be a hundred percent clear on this. The point is not, well, these rights apply to the girl, to, to the sojourner and not to the foreigner. Therefore the foreigner can be treated poorly. That's not the point. The point is not, you know, we, therefore we care nothing for those who, you know, who brave the pilgrimage to America through desert and threat of danger. Right. The point is just, we just want to take care in how we cite scripture in reference to discussions about immigration, because, you know, someone could hear all this and can, and it's, I mean, someone could legitimately hear all of this and say, you know, the, the conclusion is we need, we need more lax immigration laws. We need it easier to become a sojourner. We need it. We need to make it. So you could conclude that, right? So the point is not yeah, to you say could. you don't, uh, you, you, you get to treat foreigners poorly. I'm, that's not the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it is to say that a lot, it, the, the waters get muddied when this distinction mm-hmm. is, it, I, I just thought the distinction was helpful no, that and is helpful. to whom those, those benefits get applied. Excuse me. Yeah. And it is helpful. Um, you had mentioned the concept of neighbor. Yeah. And, uh, I know we are coming close to our time, but I really think this is important because I think the passage of the good Samaritan is used a lot mm. and I don't want to. Uh, there's a lot that can be uh, used and abused with regards to that passage. Oh, totally. So uh, I'll read this passage and then I'll ask some questions, you know, kind of bring up some points to points to ponder, points to consider for our listeners uh, there. So it's Luke chapter 10. It's, uh, it's verse, you know, it really goes from 25 through, through 37. Uh, Jesus is talking to a lawyer and the lawyer says, you know, uh, how do I, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus mentions the, basically the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. And actually the first two commandments, the first two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And of course the lawyer, being a lawyer, says, who's my neighbor? So kind of uh, <clears throat> being a little cheeky there. Lawyer's going to lawyer. That's right. Lawyer's going to lawyer. Jesus replied, verse 30, 
a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, "Go, You go and do likewise. Okay. So, a couple things just to point out with regards to this passage. I mean, ultimately, this is this passage should should spur our hearts as believers to consider our own attitude, our own behavior towards others. I mean, uh, it, it is a perfect example of how we as God's people are to, are to love our neighbors and who it is that we should call our neighbor, right? Um, some things to consider when it comes to parables like this, uh, it is not so easy like you said earlier, to draw a straight line from uh, a particular passage that is directed to uh, God's people individually and to draw that to the civil magistrate, the civil government, right? So we can't so easily say that the civil government, Caesar, is the Samaritan who's going around helping people who are in need, okay? And there's a reason why that, that, that line doesn't work is A, the Samaritan is using his own money, but Caesar doesn't use his own money. Caesar uses other people's money. That's the whole point of taxes, right? It's mm -hmm. coerced. Mm -hmm. You have to pay the taxes. The Samaritan's not taking other people's money and using it to help the injured man. But then the issue of scale comes into play. Something that we need to consider is that, okay, we're talking now when it comes to, like, let's say immigrants who are refugees, they're, you know, they're beaten, they're bruised, they've been oppressed, thousands of them. Okay, well, how do, you, like, how do you scale the Good Samaritan passage, right? Like, if the Samaritan came across a battlefield and there's 10,000 wounded on the field, how, does he help them all? Can he? What, is it, what should he do? He came across one man who was beaten. What about 10,000 who were beaten? I mean, it, it, when, you came, when you try to scale it, it's very, very difficult to do so. Um, and, and, and a couple other things to consider is that, and you know, this kind of goes to our own country's problem with spending, is right now we are in debt to tr trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars. We have no money. Any money that we're using, we are borrowing from future generations. But we have a printing press. Yeah, exactly. We print more <laughs> money, which, by the way, violates the rules of, of not changing your weights and measures. It does. <laughs> uh, so, so we'll say that's a violation of God's law very, very clearly. But, uh, I mean, just... If you really wanted to try to parallel Samaritan with, with the civil government, well, now you had the good Samaritan has no money. Hmm. He can't help anybody. He's borrowing money to help somebody. Well, no, our government has zero money saved for issues. I think maybe it, should, it perhaps should have a fund available for emergencies, like an actual fund that contains actual money. That's not... That's it's not, in the lockbox, we promise. It's in the yeah. lockbox that's borrowed <laughs> another trillion dollars from our future generations. No, you can't, you can't do that. And then the last thing I would say is that a good example would be the issues, let's say, in Venezuela, where you have, you have a country that has a dictator who is oppressing his people, starving them, his policies are, are, are not helpful, and these people are in need of help. Now... We could say, rightly so, that one of the sources of the problems, and in most cases it is, is turmoil caused by governments in those lands. Corruption. Uh, corruption in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, drug lords uh, uh, in Venezuela. Oppressive policies. You know, whatever the case may be. Um, so let me throw out this question for our listeners. If you change the Good Samaritan passage... Let's say that the Good Samaritan comes across the man as he's being beaten. So, so the man is being beaten by the robbers, and the Good Samaritan comes along. Now how does he respond? Well, I, I think a case could be made that he, that he fights. 
-hmm. he fights for his neighbor. He tries to drive off the robbers and stop them from committing their horrible crime. Well, how does that work when you apply it to nations? Should the United States send in the Marine Corps to stop Maduro and Venezuela from beating up his people and basically overthrow the government and establish a nicer government that's not going to, that's going to basically stop beating the people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that, how do you, how do you scale that to nations and say, well, now you're advocating, you know, there's an argument to be made that government's intervention of a foreign country, Mm. you know, so... I, I bring all this up not to belittle the Good yeah, Samaritan. That's, that's a big one. That's, that's no, I'm not a, trying to at all. Oh no, no, I know, no, but the, it's just a big. That's a big yeah, topic that you're yeah. you're opening up there. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the point of the Samaritan passage should be our hearts as individuals. It really mm. should be to spurn our hearts as individuals. And and and, and I, maybe there's a, a good argument to be made that Christians and individual citizens should work together to try to help these refugees uh, with our own private funds, with our own resources like do what we can to help out our neighbors um but to scale it and to say that the good samaritan is now the civil mat is now caesar i think is an abuse of the passage i don't i don't think you can do that fairly um there yeah yeah. so that's kind of like some things to consider when you look at a parable and you try to scale that to the civil government right no that makes sense that makes sense so Having said all that, yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. I, I mean, like, having said all that, what do we do, right? Um, what do we do? So, so I'll I'll throw out a couple of um, a couple of quick reflections. Um, some things I think we don't do first, right? We don't assume immigrants are here illegally, right? We don't That's just want to say yeah. everyone's, and you know, it's you don't know, you just don't know, you just don't know, and so it's just. Be wise, take care, and and don't just assume things, right? Um, second thing we don't do: assume Im- immigrants intend to uproot democracy. No, you know no. that that the assumption is that you know they they have negative intent or you know malicious intent to come and you know change the culture and change the law and uproot you know our way of life, whatever whatever that means, right? So no. like um, we don't just assume that the, there's malicious intent, and don't assume that America lasts forever. It won't, right? We talked earlier about how we're Christians first, and ultimately. We have more in common with that Christian brother or sister from another nation than with a non-believing American. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. A couple things we we should, in my view, then I don't speak for you, Eric, and I, That's so this okay. is my, my opinion, right? Let's do it. Some things that I think we we could do, right, that could be helpful. Oh, you mean as individuals or as a nation? Yes. Well, oh, I'm, okay. I'm going to talk like at a national level and then kind of at a at a local level. Okay. Right? So, um, so at a national level, I think it's. Um, I think it's okay to encourage immigration legally with a asterisk. So when a place is blessed, right, people will flock to that place. Of course. And you want it to be for the right reasons, right? So I'm, so personally, I, I tend to lean more in favor of looser restrictions on the border with a, you know, but hand in hand with a cautious approach to, uh, uh, state-sponsored benefit programs, right? So, yeah. um, you know, America said, you know, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses before those programs grew to be what they are today. The welfare, the social right, right. programs. Yeah. So, so, and, and just to be clear, like the majority of people on welfare are white, right? So, so like, I'm not saying that like welfare is causing immigration. I am saying that the benefits of, of, um, the state taking on, uh, perhaps, more than is uh, is seems to be sanctioned by God in Scripture makes the the uh, makes the appeal and the allure of of coming here appealing right and these are things that like if, if you put it just like education housing you know food relative safety like anybody who's looking from outside of America's borders in a in a you know in a land that doesn't have those things is going to find those appealing and say yeah we want that and it's understandable so so there are real like social and economic challenges to widening the gate. So at a national policy level, rather than just throw caution to the wind and say, open the gates wide open, it makes sense to me to mitigate some of the social and economic challenges first. Yeah. And then widen the gate. And in other words, you say basically the abuse of the civil government and taking too much money. Uh, I, 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 and giving out handouts. Right. Yeah. I, I would, I would put it a little bit differently, but, but yeah, like in general, I just think we want to take care to not, expand 
certain uh, benefits and, and programs that can be uh, that can become and, and can be taken advantage of that may go beyond what, what scripture gives oh, yeah, the civil I, government I, I, to exactly. do. Exactly. I think the civil magistrate's yeah. primary job is not to be a Samaritan, but to yeah. be a but to be an avenger. I mean, Romans 13 yeah. makes it very clear. And we also have to, like, at a national level, again, right, we need to we need to balance competing goods. So, yeah. like, you could have thousands upon thousands of, like, Syrian refugees, right? And, and the vast majority of those just want peace and opportunity to live freely in America. Um, yeah. On the other hand, some of what you were saying before, it's not far-fetched to believe that there's a small number of people who may intend to do harm in some of those, in some of those camps, right? It's... And, and it's not just fear versus love. Like there's more. So like, I think part of the pushback on, on that kind of thing is, you know, for a Christian to say, well, you're just letting fear dominate love. Perfect love casts out fear. Um, there's, there's, there's love for, you want to consider love for neighbor next door, just like love for migrant neighbor. Right. Um, and like for all of our flaws as a country, there, there, there are a lot of flaws for, for us as a country. Still, there, there's a social fabric that exists that, is wise to adjust slowly rather yeah. than, you know, settling 10,000 refugees immediately all in one well, shot. And that's one thing uh, the, the, the questioner uh, mentions, the, uh, the import of ideas like Sharia law. So, yeah. I mean, if you were to Im- import, let's say, one million uh, m- Muslim refugees into one location, well, in a democratic society, that has immediate implications regarding who gets elected and what and what laws get established. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not too different, uh, principally speaking. Uh, our, our church is a congregational uh, uh, church. So mm. the congregation votes on pastors, elders, deacons, and whatnot, right? So, but if you were to, let's say you were to influx, and we have about 300 members. If you were to influx 500 people and just grant them membership, now they have voting rights. They have the power to vote out the pastor and to establish or elders and deacons and vote in whatever they wanted. Right. So it's important in that kind of a, a scenario that that uh, well in the church you would basically disciple the people. You would say, okay, you want to become a member? Well, here's what we believe. Do you subscribe to our beliefs? And if you do, you're welcome to become a member. You, you we hold you accountable, and you 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 serve. And, and whatever. So, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Like, there's that give and take, that relationship built, right? Yeah. Same thing, I would say, applies in a democratic society. Like, you want to become a voting citizen. You want to, well, that's why we have citizenship tests. Like, here's why we actually believe what we believe with regards to the three branches of government and da 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 because uh, uh, elections have consequences. The, the point is, is that you're right. If, if a large population uh, that that have different ideas, different religious beliefs, like Sharia law, comes into play. Well, that's going to result in yeah a change in the culture, which is in God's hands. Number one, but I do think there's something to be said for, like, when you let people into your home. Like, let's again go back to the very bare bones. When I let someone into my home, I kind of have a bit of control over what gets taught to my children mm-hmm. like if the person comes into my home trying to teach my children something i believe is wrong or maybe they're spouting you know profanities uh, or whatever i could ask that person to leave and say okay just, you know there's rules of the house you you, you want to live in my house don't teach my children uh you know to follow after allah you know or whatever the case may be uh, that's not to say that 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 we're trying to be mean, not at all. Sure. We want to have that relationship, that, and we want to be able to help someone, while also uh, uh, encouraging, encouraging them, and, and teaching them. You know, this is who I am. Like yeah. I, I, I care about who you are, but this is who I am. And I just think that that you relationship know? that you're touching on is predicated on certain assumptions that often mm-hmm. go unstated, right? So, like with respect to the nation state, like you can have minimal government intrusion when you have maximal agreement in the culture. And, That's true. and there's already so little of that, right? So um, I, I think it's possible, like, can we balance love for migrants with love for biblical principles of, you know, individual liberty, constitutional rights, democracy? Um, 
I think the slower we go with immigration, like the more optimistic I get. Not, and it's not because I'm jealous to guard all, our culture. No. Where like where the subtext is ours white people. No, 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 that, no, no, That's no. not it. And it no, it's like not it. that is the that's often the accusation when you talk about guarding culture. It's not is nothing to do with color. It's nothing to do with ethnicity. But what I mean, so what I'm jealous to guard. What do you say? Like our culture. So where our is a society that believes that. The right of my fist to swing ends where my neighbor's nose begins. Yeah. Right. Or the society that believes that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Yeah. Or the society that believes in free speech and a free press and an independent judiciary and the rule of law and separation of capital C, church and, and state property. and private property. Like these are things that like that that our society is is founded upon certain assumptions and you know, to, to have that, that influx of uh, all of a sudden there's, there may be a large number of people who don't share some of those cultural assumptions. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of whether the, you know, the intent could be entirely, uh, beneficial and, and benign, but, but if those cultural assumptions aren't shared like that, that can make things, um, tricky when, in maintaining a social fabric. Yeah, I only bring this up. I'm not yeah. trying to say, yeah, basically it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, when, if someone is beaten up by the side of the road, you don't ask him what his beliefs are before you help him. Right. Like, like there's a time and place. You, you if someone is in dire situation, you help them. There's asylum seeking. Yeah, exactly. And but then, but then, if someone wants to actually stay on a long term basis, permanent basis, you you vet them. Yeah. And you also encourage a relationship building. Basically, it's like, you know, let's let's work together on this. But yeah, that that doesn't mean that you deny care. Uh, to uh, trauma victims or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, totally. You, know, you, don't, so, you don't do that. Yeah. So like, I, you know, a, an example is, uh, and this com honestly comes to something we can do at a local level. Cause I, I know that I, I've known a number of pastors who yeah. they are serving in, in a context where there are people who, you know, are members of a church or who visit the church often, who are known to be there like in the nation illegally. And, and yet here's, you know, you're, you're to love these people, you're to minister to these people, you share the God. Like, so one of the things that I think at a local level that we can do is, is love and equip and serve it, the, you know, immigrants, even if they're here illegally. Yeah. So w here's an example. So there's a local church that, um, you know, we can, we can try to be understanding to the situation that the immigrants are in, kind of like what you were saying. So like, you know, insofar as they're just trying to live a peaceful life here in the U S you know, there's, some churches will try to help pay for for legal fees, yeah, or yeah. for like processing fees or whatever you can do to help them to get a fair a fair hearing, yeah, to, to like try to pursue legal to status, pursue legal assignment, and to follow the rules, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. like, and from the perspective of a human court, right? They're they're innocent until proven guilty. So I, I just don't want to. I, oh, I don't I see anything wrong with like helping to ensure nope. a fair trial and and loving them in that way. So yeah. and especially for those who are seeking asylum, I, I heard one story where there's a there's a Christian family who immigrated illegally to the United States from Mexico because their home was taken over by a gang. And, Drug lords, probably? Uh, child sex trafficking, in oh this case. Oh, my goodness. And, and the government was corrupt and unwilling yep. to help them. Yep. Right? Yep. And to send them packing with, you know, Romans 13 as an exhortation in tow, it just kind of... That just kind of reeks of James 2.16, sort of. You know no, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, It's like, instead of ask, you know, instead we want to ask, what can we do within the bounds of law yeah. to help this person stay and to yeah. love them through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's huge, there's huge opportunities for gospel proclamation. That's exactly right. Like for all of the risks and competing goods that we want to weigh, we don't want to miss that. Like loving migrant friends, it's just a massive opportunity to share the gospel. Like the vast, vast, vast majority of immigrants are not threats. They are not invaders. They're men and women made in God's image. And as long as they're here, they're, they're neighbors to whom the gospel can be preached. And, more neighbors, new neighbors just means yeah. more fresh opportunities to make Christ known. You can, you can honor the law and still proclaim Christ and yeah. still love someone who is here as, as a migrant, whether legally, illegally, there's still ways to proclaim Christ to them, yeah. to still love them. And that's um, the duty of the church, the body, the yeah. local community, the individual. And that's the problem is that we end up trying to punt too much to the civil magistrate and basically yeah. say, Caesar your job is to care for everybody. Well, now hold on a second. That should be the church's job, local community's job. Caesar's job is like a referee in a football game to make sure everyone is playing by the rules and no one is cheating. Okay? And that everyone is safe. 
like like that there his job is very very limited um and yeah there should be the laws should be such that allow christians local communities to do those things while also protecting against you know, like protecting against thieves the rapists the murderers the terrorists whoever's trying to use uh take advantage of that um of the of, of a wave of immigration right right, right. so um anyways we we've touched on a lot today Dylan, yeah we, and, we've uh, covered a fair bit of ground which is, well, which is fair good. bit of ground and and uh, uh so uh we are we're out of time uh so we'll have to do a uh a proverb of the day next time uh so uh we're already busted our hour <laughs> well over it but that's okay that's all right yeah this one this one's a, a one we want to be careful about and yeah tricky of so yeah. um if you're out there and you're listening and you're still with us then you have proved tremendously patient and yes close. <laughs> yes and, and for our our questioner we hope that uh, we answered your question as well as we could to set to your satisfaction and ultimately uh and biblically uh if if any one of you has uh, follow-up questions or critiques or counterpoints, please by all means email us at uh, the number two uh, guys in the Bible podcast at gmail.com or just go to our website www.twoguysinthebible.org. There you can submit questions. Uh, if you if you if you appreciate what we're doing here and want to join in helping us keep this keep the lights on, you can you can uh, become a, a supporter there, a patron uh, there uh, from that from the link on the website. So again. Uh, we hope that this was uh, uh, that this episode was uh, was a blessing to you and helpful. Uh, and uh, we our goal is simply just to honor the word of God as best as we can. So and to love our neighbors. If you're yes. out there and you're listening to this and you're here as a migrant and you're here, uh, even if you're here illegally, you are loved. You are made in the image of God. You have dignity. And um, yeah, we love you. And th this is not something that we're just like. <laughs> trying to land on any, anybody with both feet because no. we are we are saved by grace and it's just before Christ that yeah. you know we are just in Christ that we are redeemed from 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 the law. So That's right. if you're there in, in if any of this strikes to your conscience, um, there's there's grace. Um, try to you know seek yeah. to do right, uh, seek legal avenues, and and um, there's there's grace. I mean we we have that grace in Christ freely available to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, so until next time, uh, thank you all for joining us, and uh, take care and God bless. God bless you all.